Chapter thirty four of Max by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter thirty four. It was midway between the hours of nine and ten on the morning following. Max was standing in the studio. The easel, still bearing the portrait, had been pushed into a corner, its face to the wall. Everywhere the warm sun fell upon a rigid severity of aspect as though the room had instinctively been bared for the enacting of some scene. Max himself, in a subtle manner, struck the same note. The old painting blouse he usually wore had been discarded for the blue serge suit, severely masculine in aspect. His hair had been reduced to an usual order. His whole appearance was rigid, active, braced for the coming moment. And this moment arrived sooner even than anticipation had suggested. The clocks of Paris had barely clashed the half-hour, when his strained ears caught a step upon the landing, a sharp knock upon the door, and before his brain could leap to fear or joy, Blake was in the appartement, in the room. There was no mistaking Blake's attitude as he swung into the boy's presence. It was patent in every movement, every glance, even had his white, strained face not testified to it. Coming into the studio, he affected nothing, neither apology, greeting, nor explanation. Without preamble, he came straight to the matter that possessed his mind. "'You know of this?' He held out a square white envelope bearing bold feminine handwriting, writing over which time and thought and labour had been expended in this same room ten hours earlier. "'You know this?' "'Yes.' Max's tongue clicked dryly against the roof of his mouth, but his eyes bore the fire of Blake's scrutiny. "'You know the contents?' "'Yes?' "'Yes, and you can stand there like a graven image. Do you realise it at all? Do you grasp it?' "'I think I understand.' "'You think you understand?' Blake laughed in a manner that was not agreeable. "'Understand, forsooth. You, who have never seen anything human or divine that you rate above your own little finger, understand?' He laughed again. Then suddenly his attitude changed. "'But I haven't come here to waste words.' "'You know that your sister has left Paris?' Max nodded, finding no words. "'She tells me here that she has gone, gone out of my life, that I am to forget her.' "'Well?' "'Well, that has only one meaning when it comes from the one woman. I must know where she is.' Max set his lips and studiously averted his face. "'Come, tell me where she is. Time counts.' "'I do not know.' I expected that. You're lying, of course, but when you're up against a man in my frame of mind, lies a poor ammunition. I don't ask you why she is gone. That's between her and me. That's my affair. But I must know where she is. I cannot tell you. You cannot refuse to tell me. Look here, boy, you've always seen my soft side. You don't believe there is a hard one. But we Irish can surprise you. Max had no physical fear, but he backed involuntarily before the menace in Blake's eyes. "'I am not lying to you, Ned. I cannot tell you, because I do not know. My sister Maxine has ceased to exist, for me as much as for you.' "'Stop!' Blake stepped close to him, and for an instant his hand was raised. But it fell at once to his side, and he laughed once more, harshly and self-consciously. "'Don't play with me, boy. I've had a hard knock.' "'I'm not playing. It's true. It's true.' Dark eyes with dark lines beneath them stared at Blake, carrying conviction. "'It's true, it's true. I do not know.' "'God, boy!' 
Blake faltered in his vehemence. "'It's true,' said Max again. "'True that she's gone, vanished, that I can't find her, that you can't find her? It isn't.' "'It is.' The blood rushed into Blake's face. For a moment he stood rigid and speechless, drinking in the fact. Then his feelings broke bounds. "'It's true, and you stand there gaping. God, boy, rouse yourself!' He caught him by the shoulder and shook him. "'Don't you know what this is? Have you never seen a man dealt a mortal blow?' "'Love is not everything.' cried Max. "'Not everything? Oh, you poor damned little fool, how bitterly you'll retract that prating! Not everything? Isn't water everything in a parched desert? Isn't the sun everything to a frozen world?' He stopped, suddenly loosing the boy, casting him from him a, a thing of no significance. Max, faint and pale, caught at his arm. "'Ned, Ned, I am here. I am your friend. I, I love you.' Blake, in all his world of passion, paused. "'You!' he said. And no long eloquence could have accentuated the blank amazement, the searing irony of the word. But Max closed all his senses. "'Ned, Ned, look at the truth of life. There is in me everything but one thing.' "'Then, by God, that one thing is everything. It's the woman and the man that rule this world. The woman and the man, the soul and the body— all other things are dust and chaff. You feel that now, but time, time balances. We will be happy yet. We, we will relive the old days. Blake turned, wrenching away his arm. The old days? Do you imagine Paris can hold me now she is gone? Ned. Do you imagine I can live in this town, climb these steps, stand on that balcony that breathes of her? Max was leaning back against the window frame. His brain seemed empty of blood, his heart seemed to, to pulse in a strange, unfamiliar fashion, while somewhere within his consciousness a tiny voice commanded him urgently to preserve his strength, not to betray himself. "'You will go away?' he heard himself say. "'Where will you go? To Ireland?' "'To Ireland or hell!' Blake walked to the door. "'Then you are leaving me?' "'You shall know where I am.' "'And if I should need you?' Blake made no answer. He did not even look back. "'If if she should need you?' He turned. "'I will come to her at any moment, from anywhere.' The door closed. He was gone, and Max stood leaning against the window. His blood still circulated oddly, and now the inner voice with its reiterated commands was rising— rising until it became the thunder of a sea that filled his ears, annihilating all other sounds. A swift, sharp terror smote him. He sought desperately to maintain his consciousness. But, breaking across the effort, an icy breath crept up from nowhere, fanning his cheek, suspending all struggle. And a palpable darkness, like the darkness of brooding wings, closed in upon him, bringing oblivion. End of chapter 34